You're listening to a 3CR podcast. It's Radiothon time again at 3CR. This year marks 40 years of radical radio at 3CR, and we're asking you to keep us on air for another 40 years by donating your money to 3CR's Radical Radiothon, June 6 to 19. Call us on 03 9419 8377 or visit us online at 3cr.org.au. Enjoy your podcast. Asia-Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia-Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock. On Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight the street capitalists. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Link. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents this Saturday the 4th of June, one minute past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. Of course, Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. And you can find us on the web or the w's.aawl.org.au. You can ring us on 9663-7277. And yes, our phone is reconnected after almost 12 months of fighting I with telecommunications it. companies. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, so you can find us on those social media platforms. I'm Giselle Hanna. And I'm Pierre, and we're going to have a great show for you. And um, as I have to admit, we've got some good news stories, but there's some pretty terrible in the news roundup. So sorry out there, listeners, just be prepared. Always the case. As you know, listeners, we haven't quite accomplished socialism, so there (laughs) are going to be various uh, fronts of the class war where we're not exactly winning. Uh, But in the second part of the show, um, Pierre conducted an interview with Celeste Little from the NTEU. Um, This week, or today, concludes um, National Sorry Week, and yesterday was Mabo Day, and the 26th was actual National Sorry Day. So we're uh, talking about what these days commemorate, if it makes a difference in the broader struggle for Aboriginal rights and justice, and, of course, what, uh, how much more work is there for us to do. And, of course, Monday is NAIDOC, starting NAIDOC week. So <laughs> there, there you go. go. So we'll go straight to the Labor news. And, of course, thanks a lot to Solidarity Breakfast for another interesting program. Um, the first one is that um, last week that was the second Global Day of Action for Airline Workers. In conjunction with the International Air Transport Association annual general meeting in Dublin, Ireland, held at the start of June, airport workers in many countries, and if you'll go to our website, um, you'll see the, the which cities and also lots of pictures, um, stage protest in a coordinated Global Day of Action. In a globalised industry like aviation, workers and unions around the world want airlines and airport owners to stop their race to the bottom that is slashing pay and conditions for all workers. This Global Day of Action follows on from the first Global Day of Action that was held in September 2012. These international events are a reflection of the increasing linkages between workers in different countries. In our globalised world, only united and coordinated actions by workers can win. And in Australia, the powerful CFMEU Queensland Union is using the federal election period to start a political campaign called Steady Jobs. The aim of the campaign is to call on governments to legislate for better job security and against the increasing use of short-term and casual employment contracts. 
This issue is something that unions in Australia have been focusing on more in the last few years as precarious work arrangements continue to spread. Insecure work has now become a feature of our global economy as a tool by by companies to weaken workers in places as disparate as Indonesia, South Korea, Japan, China and India. And actually, Pierre, I think I've mentioned this a number of times everywhere in Asia that I go where I speak to workers, I ask what is the number one issue facing workers in this country and they will invariably say contract labour, precarious work, etc. Yep, 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 yep. Um, under many names, but it's all about insecurity. Um, the next item is just to let you know with a bit of advan- in advance warning that on uh, Saturday 18th of June here um, uh, at 1pm State Library there is a rally for um, in support of the refugee rights and the rally um, they had, it's, called, it's called Close Manners, Close Nauru, Bring Them Here, No Votes in Abuse. And, um, I mean, the reality is the, we could actually talk a lot about, I mean, about refugee, about the, the violation of human rights. There is actually a constant uprising in the Nauru Detention Centre. I think it's well into its third month now. Uh, in the Manus Island, they've opened up the camp, but basically people are prisoners within that little island. The, the, it's a huge litany of abuses, so um, certainly come along to this rally on the 18th of June. In Cambodia, in an example of the health and safety issues that garment workers face earlier this week, over 100 workers were badly affected by chemicals in their factory. The company, Orient International Enterprise Factory, situated in the Kampong um, Spiyu's Samrong Tong area, later admitted that it had sprayed pesticides throughout the factory the day earlier. Mass faintings and other health and safety issues are unfortunately now new for Cambodian garment workers, as there have been many incidents over the last few years. And we go to China, where in a recently released report by China Labor Bulletin, the increasing numbers of struggles by teachers is examined and the political ramification of these is discussed. While the majority of strikes by teachers in China are not necessarily political, the important difference of their actions from workers employed uh, in private companies is the fact that teachers are public sector workers. Therefore, the teachers' actions have a more direct impact on government institutions and policies and pose a greater challenge to the state. And no surprises here, PepsiCo continues to bust unions in West Bengal. Hundreds of workers employed at a warehouse subcontracted to PepsiCo in the Indian state of West Bengal are facing even greater pressure from management. The dispute started three years ago when workers took action to form their own union and for greater job security. Other groups of PepsiCo workers have also faced similar issues and had to fight for their rights. In the latest round of intimidation, the company, um, Radha Krishna Foodland, has reduced workers' <coughs> contracts from the present 12-month duration to just three months. Uh, we're going to give you some details about how you can send solidarity messages to those workers. And again, it's part of the whole insecurity of, of, of work that we mentioned just before. That's right. If your obligation to a worker lasts only three months, that, that gives the bosses as much flexibility and us none. 
That's right. That's right. Um, the next story, we go to Iran, where we've often talked about the brutality of the Iranian government, but they've actually managed to go one step even further down here, unfortunately. In a barbaric display of repression and intimidation, the Iranian government carried out public floggings against 17 mine workers as punishment for them taking industrial action. The workers were employed at the Agdare gold mine in the West Azerbaijan province of Iran and had been protesting against the layoff of 300 of 350 of the fellow workers, and all of them received 100 lashes. Solidarity actions to protect these punishments were organised in Toronto, Canada. At the same time, other labour activists are languishing in jail with some now on extended hunger strikes. The Iranian government actions are an attempt to suppress an incredible, in- increasingly restive labour movement that is trying to improve its conditions. Our last story from uh, for the morning from the region, unfortunately, is also another sad story. Um, there was a factory fire or a fire in uh, in Qatar. And this week, a fire engulfed a migrant worker housing complex in Qatar, killing eleven workers and injuring at least another twelve. Unfortunately, it's not an isolated incident as countries in West Asia, like Qatar, are renowned for their brutal exploitation of migrant workers and anti-union practices. Other major incidents in Qatar in the last few years have included the number of workers being killed building stadiums for the 2022 World Cup, the keeping of Nepalese workers as virtual slaves and exposures to toxic chemicals. An interactive map of West Asia gives a visual picture of many of these abuses and we'll post that to our website. That's right, and, and that's the end of the Labor News and certainly if people want more information, um, um, please go to our website. There's lots more stories and, of course, there's always links so you can always deepen your understanding. But um, just on 9 past uh, 9 o'clock here on Saturday morning, morning the 4th of June which I just realized is the anniversary of the Tiananmen Square massacre in 1989 so that's 27 years ago it's always worth remembering um, these events three CR always bringing you the latest union news they're coming after us at the moment they want to get rid of penalty rates the big push from businesses they want to get rid of all the things that you and I have fought for. So there's tens of thousands of jobs gone, contracted out, to sham contracting arrangements. On 8.55am and on the web, 3cr.org.au. Celeste Little is an Indigenous feminist. Uh, she's an Arunti woman. Uh, she's based in Melbourne, Australia. She's also the National Indigenous Organiser for the National Tertiary Education Union here in Australia as well. Uh, we spoke with her about uh, a, a collection of Aboriginal commemorative events at the moment, the start of NAIDOC week, the end of National Sorry Week, National Sorry Day, Mabo Day. Uh, here is that story. And I have... And sorry, Giselle, for that mistake, but I do make them every so often. I have to say that um, there is some um, distortion in, in, and a bit of background noise, so I apologise for that, but um, it's certainly um, understandable. We've just commemorated Sorry Day here in Australia, supposedly in recognition of the stolen generation. Yet very little has changed in relation 
to the material conditions of Aboriginal people in this country. So what do you think of events like Sorry Day? They're kind of reminders of, um, of how far we have to go. So, you know, they're important, um, they're important to acknowledge historically because we need to ensure as a country that we don't go back to making the same decisions that were made in the past that led to so many generations of Aboriginal children being taken. Um, but we also need to ensure that with that is an educational program. And I think that, um, you know, Sorry Day is on the 26th of May, um, but Australians tend to be a bit lax. They tend to think of the federal apology being... Um, being the line that was drawn underneath that and whilst the apology was welcomed by the community, we're still at a point where children are still being taken at very high rates. Um, there's still been no compensation, proper compensation for the stolen generations and we still gloss over Australian history. It, it, it still seems that a lot of people are in denial about this country and the sorts of programs that have affected Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islander people over the decades. I think that they're very good um, points that you make there. And I understand that your people are from uh, Central Australia, one of the areas targeted for community closures. Now, what impacts ha are these going to have on, on your people? My own family was quite devastated by the policies of previous years. So we've got a number of generations that went before me that were actually stolen from homes and from country and from parents. Um, what that led to um, has been a break in a break in culture and a break in knowledge and things like language programs and and understanding landscapes and all of that is something that a lot of my a lot of members of my family in this day and age are still trying to get back um, from the you know from the times of stolen generations. The the whole idea um, of community closure and disconnecting people from country again just seems to be another part of that puzzle. So whilst we start to gain some knowledge back and some, you know, some pride back in where it is that we come from after years of being made to feel ashamed for it, all of a sudden we're being disconnected from it again. So it's, it's a real concern. Certainly we share those uh, concerns that we've been following the, the campaign against the closures very closely. Another issue that's um, around Aboriginal issues is of the so-called Recognise campaign. What are your thoughts about the Recognise campaign and what it may or may not achieve? Look, I've been pretty forthright in the media as a commentator um, stating my, my opposition to the concept. Well, the Recognise campaign itself I'm opposed to, um, but the concept of constitutional recognition as a whole I'm opposed to. And the reason that I'm opposed to that is that as sovereign peoples in this country, um, we are the only Commonwealth nation that hasn't actually entered into some sort of treaty with its first peoples. So, so there is no protection on those sorts of Aboriginal rights at this point in time. And to be written into a um, legal document, which was written at a time when we were actively excluded from from Australian society and indeed, you know, considered to 
well, the, the doctrine of the false legal doctrine of terra nullius was, was in place, so land belonging to no one, and we've since shown that that was never the case. The land, we belong to the land, and the land belonged to us. Um, the the idea that all of these wrongs could be rectified by us being written into the constitution for me is a fancy. It's not going to happen. Um, it, it's, sorry, it's not going to fix anything until we've actually set out a framework of rights and responsibilities from the government to actually, to actually, um, I, I guess, ensure that that Aboriginal people aren't living in um, some incredibly difficult conditions in remote communities and, you know, even in some of the biggest cities. I, I do support. Um, I do support the removal of racist clauses within the Constitution, um, such as the right to the right to exclude people of certain races from voting in state elections. And um, I do support an amendment to um, to the clause around um, the right to make special laws for certain groups of people based on race, but they're not Indigenous issues. They're a broader anti-racism issue that um, that should be looked at in that way. So I'm I'm not for constitutional recognition. I'm I am for the removal of racism in the constitution, but I um, constitutional recognition itself I strongly believe that we need to actually negotiate the rights of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people before we get written into this document. In terms of the actual rights and the conditions for Aboriginal people, you're an organiser for the National Tertiary Education Union. What are the conditions like for Aboriginal workers in universities? We've been quite successful in a number of ways. I think that, you know, we've got a long way to go before we hit any sort of population parity within the within the industry. So Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people still only make up about 1% of all higher education workers. But things like, um, things like Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander employment clauses are now, um, well, and have been for a while, a part of our collective agreement. So there is a responsibility for the university and the union to work together to ensure that they are growing the number of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander staff. Um, we, we, you know, through the process of bargaining, specific, um, specific Indigenous um, life journeys, I guess, are taken into are taken into account. So. Things like cultural and ceremonial leave are pretty standard within our agreements and things like language allowances are also one of the standard things that we tend to bargain for. Um, it's still hard out there, so higher education is an elitist industry. It is very much about elite knowledges and um, fighting for equality within, within, within places like universities, which have long preference white western male canon of learning is very difficult but we have had a lot of success and I think that you know a lot of that comes down to the fact that we've got such a strong strong number of members within our union and they you know they're knowledgeable and they're always ready to actually try and improve the situations for everyone who's working within it. That's great to um, hear. And as a final question, just to keep it uh, 
at the workers at the labour movement level. Um, like you mentioned in your responses, there are a lot of issues still facing Aboriginal people and communities around Australia. So how can the labour movement work better with Aboriginal people? How can it build solid, effective campaigns in these areas? First and foremost, the labour movement needs to actually listen a fair bit better. Um, you know, I, within the labour movement, through affiliations with political parties and those sorts of deals, which a lot of them do have, um, a lot of the time unions can end up towing the party lines and that ends up being quite difficult for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people due to the fact that... Um, due to the fact that parties don't tend to take into account what our arguments actually are. We're only 3% of the votership and 3% of the votership spread across such a gigantic big land as what Australia is doesn't really hold much sway and Indigenous issues don't tend to win elections. So, so the Labor movement needs to get a little bit better at listening and a little bit better at negotiating. Um, the solidarity that I saw, and particularly with the Stop the Forced Closures rallies last year, I mean, a lot of the um, a lot of the numbers that turned out on the street last year were unionists, and those sorts of collaborations are absolutely integral. So, you know, I'm forever thankful for the fact that unions got out there and marched for Aboriginal um, sovereignty last year, and those sorts of bonds can only continue to grow. But I think, too, we've got to remember there's a long and proud history of Aboriginal rights and of union movements collaborating on specific issues. And if, if nothing else, the fact that this year is the 50-year anniversary of the Wave Hill walk-off, which was very much a successful collaboration between Indigenous workers and, you know, workers everywhere else in the country, which led eventually to land, land rights legislation. You know, we should be able to draw power from those sorts of stories and the telling of those sorts of stories and, you know, what that sort of collective might can achieve at the end of the day. Well, thank you for those final words, um, Celeste, and we certainly hope that, that we can build on the successes of the past to much greater successes in the in the future. So thank you very much, and um, we'll certainly keep abreast um, with the issues in the coming months and years. No worries. Thanks for having me. Thank you. It's 40 years that the station's been around. I hope it's around for the next 40 years. CR has been a trailblazer. It's still the leader and the benchmark in terms of actually engaging the community. Keep the trail blazing. Support 3CR in our 40th birthday radiothon. From June 6 to 19. To donate, call 9419 8377 or go to 3cr.org.au. The role it plays is really, really, really important. And the role it plays in empowering people on a personal level empowering communities and giving communities the power to actually take a bit of control of their future cannot be underestimated. 
24 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents. That interview that you just heard was Celeste Little. She's an Indigenous feminist. She's an Arunti woman and she's also the National Indigenous Organiser for the NTEU. Just a couple more announcements. Um, The first one, just to remind you, 18th of June is um, the next big refugee rally. That's at one o'clock at the State Library, so get along to that. And AAWL's next movie fundraiser is Monday the 20th of June. We're screening The Lab at uh, Long Play at six o'clock. The Lab is a documentary about the Israeli arms trade and the practice um, uh, of those of that weaponry on on Palestinians, and and that's how they market their weapons as you know tested in battle. So looking at the industry around that, uh, with a special introduction by Jacob Grech, um, Trades Hall caretaker and long-standing anti-war activist. Um, I think it'll be a very interesting um, film, although it might be a little bit sad, but uh, I, I think, you know, those... Uh, I, that is the feedback I've gotten from my film selection in this movie fundraiser series, I must admit, Pierre. Um, yes, we'll have to find a good uh, strike that's heroic and actually wins, but I'm sure there are around well, there. Well, maybe if the left got off its ass and won a few battles, I'd have some uplifting stories to share. Oh, Giselle, Giselle, <laughs> such such statement for such a young young activist. But anyway, well, in terms of of little wins, little yeah. wins, but b- with big implications. Very good, very nice segue. Uh, Do you like how I gave you that one? Uh, excellent, excellent. <laughs> About um, the SDA and calls and the um, the fight by really by um, by Josh Cullinan, who first started the ball. Rolling, I think most uh, listener here in Australia would um, would know about it. But uh, for our international listeners, basically, Coles is a one of the huge supermarket chains. Uh, their their workers are covered by the Shop Distributors Alliance, which happens to be the biggest union in Australia, and I think most people would say is a completely yellow union. That's right. So uh, I mean. As compared to many other countries in Asia, I don't think Australia really ha- has at the front of its mind this concept of yellow unions, um, but a yellow union is generally a company union or a government union, and we would absolutely say that the SDA was one of them. I did want to say, though, there are lots and lots of players in this particular um, in this particular fight. Um, Josh, who has done an amazing job, certainly didn't do it on his own. Uh, Duncan Hart, who was the lead um, uh, individual in in the case, he didn't do it on his own, but absolutely his bravery and courage to stand up to the SDA is is a big part of the dispute. And other unions in the background um, really supporting this because uh, the SDA is an indictment on the entire labour movement here. And again, for our international listeners, what basically happened, uh, the SDA made a deal with Coles to cover, I think it's 30 or 50,000 workers, where basically uh, it raised its base rate by a few cents, but basically then cut all penalty rates and other entitlements. And as it 
that um, came out um, and um, what Duncan, Josh and other people did, they took him to the Industrial Relations Commission here in Australia called the Fair Work Commission and they basically said that this agreement was actually um, worse than the minimum allowable legal conditions. So usually when unions get together and organise workers you win things, you win things above the minimum, you get lots of better conditions. But, so it went to the fair work, to the industrial umpire, which is not actually umpire, and it's usually not even that favourable to workers. But even they came out and said, yes, this agreement is worse than the legal minimum requirements. That you can't get a worse indictment for any union to say that you sign an agreement where your workers' wages and conditions are less than the legal minimum. So the SDA has slowly, slowly been selling off workers' hard-won victories uh, in in work and sl- slowly selling off penalty rates, conditions, etc. And it is finally great to see them exposed, actually, exposed so publicly. And really, time to knock the SDA out of our labour movement. I totally agree. This is going to cost calls, I reckon, at least $150 million. It's going to have flow-on effects because the SDA is really big in the retail and services type industries. So another, the next other big player is Woolworths in the, um, in the retail, and they were about to sign. Well, their EBA was on hold pending the outcome of this decision, so... So I'm sure they're actually rewriting it as we speak. And you Woolies workers owe those Coles workers a major debt for fighting that battle for you, but really, time, time for the activists in that union to uh, to come out and start organising against the leadership. And of course, the 7-Eleven, the SDA covers 7-Eleven, which has been exposed as just... Incredibly rotten. So anyway, so I think we're in it for very interesting times in the retail sector in Australia. And uh, so there was a victory. On that happy note, and if yes. someone turns that into a documentary, I'll certainly run it. But it is the end of Asia Pacific Currents for this morning. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next Saturday from nine o'clock. And coming up next is Palestine Remembered. I'm Giselle Hanna. And I'm Pierre Morrow. We'll be back uh, with you next week. And of course, don't forget, 3CR Radio is coming very soon. So get those pennies and dollars away to donate. Hey, this is Nick from Pinar. You're listening to 3CR. Please support community radio and your local music scene. Subscribe now. Give money back to the people that give music to you. You've just been listening to a podcast produced at 3CR Community Radio. 2016 marks 40 years that 3CR has been bringing you independent community voices and we're asking you, our listeners, to keep us going for another 40 years by donating to our Radical Radiothon this June 6th to the 19th. This year, we need to make $220,000. So any amount you can afford makes a big difference. Call us on 03 9419 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for supporting Community Radio.